in high school, my friend Chris's dad would write him out directions that avoided all railroad tracks and left-hand turns. If we were headed to an away game of the football team at an unfamiliar school across town, say, he'd calculate what he believed to be the safest route. No risk of getting hit by a train, less risk of getting hit by a car, Chris often repeated to us his dad's warning that most accidents happen while making a left-hand turn. So why make one at all when three rights are just as good? Ron was ahead of his time. Now, of course, you can plan your route the way you want to with a tap. You can go the fastest way or the way that, make, that takes you the fewest miles. You can avoid tolls or highways or dirt roads. You can prefer paths with carpool lanes. You can be rerouted via the nearest coffee shop. I'm pretty sure it still takes a hovering dad anxiously looking over a road atlas of Indianapolis to edit out all the lefts, but there are apps that will route you around the most dangerous intersections. And I'm sure that Ron has toggled that on all of his kids' phones. As one website advertises, everyone likes their routes a certain way. But it could have just as easily said, everyone likes their everything a certain way. And mostly we get to have it that way. And mostly I get to have it that way. Just by accepting the cookies of every website I visit, I can be seamlessly routed through a user experience tailored to my specific tastes and interests. The word that captures our particular moment in history best maybe is algorithm. <laughs> that mysterious calculus that is everywhere and unseen. The equation that knows me better than I know myself, knows what I like to watch, what I'm likely to buy, the news that I want to hear, and more importantly, the news that I don't want to hear so much that I will have to click on it. This is a season in, in a normal year when I'm reminded of what a different app, is, app Netflix is at my in-law's house than at mine. Like our algorithms have constructed entirely different worlds for us, which of course they have. I turn on the television there around Christmas and start scrolling through thinking, who knew there were so many Hallmark movies on here? Maybe you. You might log on to mine and say, who knew there were so many shows that are just pictures of food with people playing violins over them? Me, and I'm here for every one of them. Fire up that fiddle and start shaving that black truffle. And yes, it's creepy and black mirror-y that they've created this whole world just for me, just the way I like it. I know I'm being manipulated and my data is being stored and it will probably be used for some nefarious purpose other than the already nefarious purposes of capitalistic consumption. But in the meantime, I kind of like it. The algorithm gets me. Facebook ads are way better than commercials ever were at showing me things I might actually want. I like my world customized. And if it's funneling me in a specific direction, it's basically the direction I wanted to go anyway. And it's leading me to just the place I planned to be. Today is the day in the church calendar each year when we tell the story of the Magi going to visit Jesus. It's called Epiphany. 
these three scholars and mystics watching the skies for omens and, and they find just what they'd hoped for. A star so bright it is unmissable. And so still it defies the laws of physics, a sign that leads them directly to a home in Bethlehem and brings them there conveniently by way of the palace in Jerusalem. Falling the way it does every year on the first Sunday in January, the story has become associated in my mind with, with New Year's. And that star guiding its followers to God's presence on earth has gotten wrapped up in my head with New Year's resolutions and, and other ways of seeking direction for the year to come. At the church I served in Gainesville, we chose star words on this day. Each picked a, a paper star out of a basket and turned it over to reveal a word that was meant kind of fortune cookie style to be a message just for you. A through line to keep in front of you for the year ahead. That, that thing that would guide you to the right place, the place where God meant you to be. And as goofy as they can be, I kind of love them. I love the idea that it could be so easy, that God might speak so clearly and directly with a single word chosen just for me, revealing the exact route I'm supposed to take through this year. An unmistakable sign that will guide me right to the place where I'm meant to end up. That sounds great. But if that's how the Magi found their way to Jesus, Jesus himself navigated very differently. Beside their unswerving journey to Bethlehem, his own path looks a lot more circuitous. Actually, it looks kind of confused, meandering. If you try plotting the locations in the Gospel of Mark on a map, you'll end up with this kind of spider web or tangled fishing net scribbled across your page. A route that seems to have no rhyme or reason, or at least the rhyme and reason of it are not speed or efficiency, not the fastest way, not the safest, not the fewest miles. The verse just after what Jen read this morning says, then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And now it's totally understandable if you hear me read that and you're just like, blah, 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 Bible place name, Bible place name, Bible place name. That's what I do too. But let me translate it in a way that shows how strange that verse is. It's like if I were here at the church in Ravenswood and I told you I was gonna go down to Oak Park by way of Evanston. It's not swinging by a coffee shop that takes you a few minutes out of your way. It's entirely the wrong direction. Jesus should be headed east, southeast and instead he heads due north from Tyre to Sidon, a sharp left turn. The end of that verse is weird too, where it says he went toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. That's like if you were from Grand Rapids and you said you were going toward Lake Michigan in the region of Wisconsin. It's like 
technically right, but a weird thing to say. Like the Decapolis is on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee from where Jesus is from and from where he lives. So, so why name it here? Why take this roundabout path from, from Tyre to Sidon to the Decapolis? There's one thing that does link these three places. They're all on foreign soil. They're all three outside Israel. All three populated by, by Gentiles. People who don't speak Jesus's language, who don't share his customs, his religion. They're all places he wouldn't be expected to go. Not home, not comfortable, not familiar. Places that if he had to pass through, he might get in and get out, plan his route, be efficient, stay safe, avoid collisions. But instead, in this story, he wanders in, kind of stumbles around, and then takes the scenic road home. Instead, he runs smack into this stranger and everything changes. If Jesus has a reason for setting out for Tyre in the first place, it's never mentioned in the story. He just goes there and supposedly tries to keep a low profile, but is immediately found by this Syrophoenician woman, this mother of a sick kid. And then after they talk, he leaves almost as if he had accomplished what he had hoped for. A lot has been made out of this story, how Jesus calls this woman and her child dogs because they're part of a diff different ethnic group from him. I'll say the Jesus I believe in and try to follow would, would never use an ethnic slur for any reason to make any point. I just, I can't believe that part of the story. But plenty of Jesus's followers do discriminate then and now. And I can believe that whoever wrote this story decided to put those words in his mouth, that they felt like the woman needed to be insulted so that she could show the readers just how faithful she was, just how worthy of the healing she was asking for. Even though Jesus was hiding, even though he turned her down, even though he insulted her to her face, she still believed in so didn't she deserve the blessing? I don't believe in a God that needs that kind of convincing about someone's worthiness, even if people sometimes do. But I do believe in Jesus's trip to, to Tyre and to Sidon and the Decapolis. A Jesus who is intentionally cruel to someone to test their faith, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me, but, but one who wanders further and further out of bounds, who shows up in unexpected places and blesses unexpected people so that the people around him have to try to explain his actions after the fact, that sounds right. A Jesus who meanders into unfamiliar territory and ends up breaking down walls is a Jesus I recognize. And his invitation is to follow. The philosopher Menno is said to have asked, how do you go about finding that thing, the nature of which is totally unknown to you? In other words, 
to grow and change to become the person I'm meant to be will take learning something I don't already know or, or understanding something I don't already understand or experiencing something I have not experienced. Otherwise, I would have already found that transformation. And, and it's not just that I don't know it, but I, I don't know that I don't know it. That thing that will lead me to become the person that I, that I want to become is, is totally unknown to me. So then how do I look for it? If I don't know not just where it is, but even what it is. The essayist Rebecca Solnit kind of chews on this question and arrives at, at this answer. That thing, the nature of which is totally unknown to you is usually what you need to find. And finding it is a matter of getting lost. In other words, it's a matter of, of wandering into unfamiliar territory, of going to a place I don't know for a reason I will only discover when I get there. As long as I'm traveling on paths that I've walked down streets that are familiar, full of people who are like me, as long as I stick to my routines, to having everything that certain way I like, I may find comfort, but I will never find transformation. I might find a new show with new violins over new food, but I won't ever find something truly new. I can avoid a lot of dangerous collisions that way. I do avoid a lot of dangerous collisions that way, but I also avoid the growth and change that can only come from running smack into someone so unlike myself that I am struck by how different the world can look through their eyes. My algorithm can give me exactly what I want unless what I want is to grow. It can satisfy the person that I am, but it will not move me an inch toward the person I was created to become. To find that one, I have to venture off the known path to get lost. This is the time of year when I'm, I'm tempted to make a resolution to set a goal like a star that I can follow through this year, especially this year. Some kind of clear, direct path through all of this mire to a predictable outcome. A slightly healthier lifestyle, maybe a slightly more patient parenting approach, a slightly more disciplined prayer life. Those are mine, you, you have your own. But nothing truly new whether I keep those resolutions or not, any goal that I'm capable of mapping out won't get me to real transformation. If I knew where to find that, I would have already gone. The path of growth, should I want to keep growing, is always an unknown path. Not an unfailing star, that shines right to the place where I'm meant to be, but the confusing footprints of one tracing a circuitous route into unfamiliar territory, looping around and, and doubling back, making dangerous left-hand turns over and over, 
crossing over to the wrong side of the tracks. Getting so turned around, it becomes impossible to retreat back to safety. Meeting there, the one who is different enough to disorient me, to break me out of my rut, to show me a little bit of what I don't know that I don't know. Until I set out again toward the place I am meant to be, God knows where. <laughs>